his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I'm just going to pray for Pete, um, and then yeah, he'll he'll bring his message for us. Dear Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your servant Peter, and thank you for uh, arranging him to come and spend time with us. Um, It is a privilege hearing from him, Lord. And we just pray that you just speak mightily through him and you can connect with us all through the words that you have given him for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Lord. Well, it's great to be with you uh, tonight. Thank you for your welcome. And uh, I have a quiet voice, so if you can't hear me, and you want to hear me, then please wave your hand. If you can't hear me and don't want to hear me, well, just sleep on. And uh, <laughs> Sleep's the gift of God. I thoroughly enjoy it myself. And we'll wake you up at the end with another coffee, no doubt. Well, what we're thinking tonight about is the subject of the cross and prayer. And I think for many people, the difficulty about praying is that God seems such a long way away. And even conscientious and elderly prayers like myself occasionally think, am I wasting my time spending time in prayer? And indeed, that's a very common idea, isn't it? Because I often say myself and hear other people say it, well, I felt I couldn't do anything except pray. As if praying was the most ineffective thing to do, rather than actually the most effective thing to do. And the idea that God's a long way away and that we have to find God is a very common idea in our society 
as well as in our churches. It is not true, but it's a very common idea. So often when I'm talking to somebody who isn't a Christian, they say, well, God seems a long way away. How will I find him? And I say, the question is, how will you respond to the God who's been chasing you for years? Because when people are converted and I talk to them, I then find that actually they're aware of uh, other people who've been chatting to them about the Lord Jesus Christ and praying for them for many, many years. They can look back, you see, and see that God has actually been corralling them into a corner. God's actually been chasing them, even if they haven't wanted to chase God at all. There was a number of years ago a splendid BBC series on the religions of the world. It was called The Long Search. I remember the series. It was a very good series. Ronald Ayres was the presenter. And uh, by the end of the session, I think there were about 26 sessions, I think, He'd covered all these religions all around the world, all the exotic ones, all the exciting ones, and all the boring ones as well. And then he said, now the question is, of course, which one do we choose? We thought, here's the moment, what's he going to do? He said, well, I'll need to think about that. And he, the, the, the program was being shown at his home, and he went and made a cup of tea. And I thought, what a very British response to the problem of... <laughs> the quest for truth, I'll make a cup of tea and uh, that'll help us find it. But actually the long search, that is, our search for God is exactly the wrong way to think about it, isn't it? Because the message of the Bible is not we have to search for God, but that God has searched for us. It wasn't that the sheep got together and said, let's see if we can find our lost shepherd. Was it? Who searches? Who does the searching? The answer is the good shepherd searches and finds his sheep. And if you know your Bibles well, you'll know what a great Bible theme that is. I was reading Deuteronomy 28 to 31 the other day, and it's a great message is that when God's people turn away from him, he'll scatter them, and then he'll gather them back to himself. When God scatters, that's God's judgment. When God gathers, that is God's mercy and kindness. Now, uh, as we heard uh, read from Hebrews chapter 10, we first of all heard a description of the worship of God in the temple, or actually in the tabernacle. Every priest stands daily at his sacrifice offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And if you know the letter to the Hebrews, and I hope you do, then you'll know that the whole message of Jesus is based in the reality and importance of the Old Testament tabernacle and the Old Testament temple. And so before we look at these uh, verses, verses from Hebrews, we need to go back to the Old Testament, which of course is the foundation of the New Testament. 
Here's a quick summary of the book of Exodus. Uh, if you forget everything else, you can remember this, I'm sure, because it's very simple. The book of Exodus begins, as you remember, when God's people are captive in Egypt. And the three great messages of the book of Exodus, here they are. Chapters 1 to 15, God came down to rescue his people. Chapter 16 to 24, God came down on the mountain to speak to his people and make a covenant. And then God came down to live among his people, chapter 25 to 40. Now, this great theme of God coming down is a very important one in Exodus. It wasn't that the people had to get out of Egypt and then find God. It was that God came down to rescue them by his strong, mighty hand. Who rescued them from Egypt? They didn't find their own way out. God found them. God beat the Egyptians, bashed up the Egyptian gods, and got them out of Egypt. And the God who came down to rescue, the God who is a coming down God to rescue his people, is then the God who came down on Mount Sinai in all that majesty and power, uh, the trumpet sound and the mountain shaking and so on. Why? Because God came down on the mountain to speak to his people. And the people were so terrified, they said to Moses, well, don't let God speak to us. You, 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 God can speak to you and then you tell us what God's saying. People say to me often, I just wish God would come and appear before me and then I'd probably believe in him. I say, I say let me tell you, if God came and appeared before you, you'd be, you'd be scared witless. But the God who came down to speak to his people and make a covenant with them, Exodus 16 to 24, is then the God who plans to come down to live among his people. So Exodus 25 begins with the Lord's instruction to Moses, have them make a dwelling, a sanctuary for me, listen to this, that I may dwell, that I may live among them. So the God who's come down to visit is now the God who comes down to stay with his people. He makes the journey. He comes down to live among his people. And uh, I think this description of the God who comes down, God who comes down to rescue, the God who comes down to speak and make a covenant, and the God who comes down to live among his people, is, of course, a kind of dry run for the incarnation, isn't it? Because that's exactly what happened when Jesus came. God came down. And indeed, in uh, John 1.14, you might remember, uh, John says, the word was made flesh and tabernacled, dwelt among us. Now, let me tell you, someone who comes to live among you is someone who is serious about relating to you. Just imagine. It won't happen, don't worry. But when you got home tonight, you found me on the front porch uh, with my two dogs and a number of books and a small piano. And I uh, said, oh, well, I've come to stay. I'm going to be here for the rest of your life. You would, first of all, panic, I'm sure. Uh, and then you'd clean the bathroom, no doubt, and uh, try and think how you could make me welcome. But the point is that this is the God we believe in, the God who's there in Exodus, come down to live among his people. And you might remember that Exodus ends with the great cloud descending on the tabernacle. And that's a sign that God is present. Every time the people head off through the desert to try and find the promised land, 
why this cloud follows them, doesn't it? In fact, it leads them. A pillar of uh, fire and a pillar of cloud. That's a sign that God is present. Now, this universe is not a place in which God is absent. This universe is a place in which God is present. You know what the, what the world calls this universe? They call it space, <laughs> as if it's a kind of gap, empty space. It's not an empty space at all. This universe is where God lives. This is his home. He fills all things. We talk about God reigning in heaven, but God's reign extends throughout the entire universe, your bathroom included. And where God's reign is present, God himself is present. So I think the issue about praying is not thinking to myself, well, God's a long way away, I'll need to speak up so he can hear me and grab his attention. No, praying is praying to the God who is present and is waiting for us to speak to him. Just imagine if I did come to your place tonight to stay for the next 75 years, uh, but I didn't speak to you. That would be really odd, wouldn't it? I'm living in your house. You're cooking me breakfast. Very, thank you very much. That's very nice. Uh, we're feeding my dogs. You're taking them for a walk. That would be very helpful. I'm playing the piano and you're listening appreciatively and so on. But imagine if I didn't talk to you. You'd think this is a really odd person. Not only has he arrived uninvited, but he doesn't actually talk to me. Well, prayer is just talking to God. That's all it is. It's actually believing that God is present. It's not a a super spiritual exercise it's not making having to find God or make God present it is talking to the God who is present and what specifically does the cross tell us about prayer well let me read again these words from Hebrews reading from uh, chapter 10 uh, beginning at verse 11 uh, in the tabernacle or the temple, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying... This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So, 
Hebrews tells us that the only barrier, the only gap between God and ourselves, between ourselves and God, is our sin. But Hebrews also tells us that Christ has offered a sacrifice to make us perfect and holy. So the only barrier, the only gap between you and God is not that you feel, it's not that you feel God is a long way away. That's not a real gap. That's an imaginary gap. It's not your tiredness or your lack of imagination or your lack of energy. That actually doesn't stop you praying or shouldn't stop you praying. The only barrier is sin. And Christ has offered a single sacrifice to make us perfect and holy. And let me tell you one prayer, one prayer you can pray to which the answer will always be positive, immediate and eternal. Do you know what it is? Please forgive me. God doesn't mind how often you pray that prayer. Your habitual sins, you'll need to pray that prayer a thousand times a day, won't you? Here I go again. Please forgive me. Will God ever say, oh no? God will always say, oh yes. You see, Jesus died so we could pray to God. That was the cost of it. The cost of our access to God was the death of his son. So every time you pray, you're making use, receiving the benefit of Christ's death on the cross. That's how precious praying to God is. Because if Christ hadn't died, you wouldn't dare to speak to him. You'd have no right to speak to him. It would be dangerous to speak to him. See, the message in the Old Testament is not actually how may a sinful people approach a holy God, but how may a holy God live among his people and not kill them? That's the question in the Old Testament. How may the holy God come and dwell among his people and not destroy them? And the answer is by the blood sacrifice of animals. And the answer we know is by the death of his son. Well, uh, it's quite often the case that people come and talk to me. They make appointments and they come and talk to me. And uh, I'm happy to talk with them. Uh, the, the funny thing is that uh, they expect me not to concentrate on what they're saying. <laughs> often the phone will ring and I'll ignore it, of course, because I, you know, I've, I've just voted this time to this person. And they'll say, look, the phone's ringing. They think, poor old man, he can't even hear the phones ringing. I say, well, don't worry, it'll stop. It often does that, makes that noise, and then it stops again. It's okay. But the funny thing is that most people come to talk to me about problems, not sins. Isn't that interesting? They say, I've got this problem I'd like some help with. And I don't mind helping people with problems if I can provide any good advice. But actually... <laughs> The biggest problem we have is our sin. And that's true even if you've been a saint for a very long time. One prayer I've been praying uh, for the past seven or eight years is uh, I realized that lots of my friends, my contemporaries, had 
really obvious sins of which they were quite ignorant. And I thought, you know, it's perfectly obvious to me that he's got a bad temper, he's intolerant and so on. Uh, look at the way he speaks to the parrot, it's pretty obvious. Uh, but he obviously doesn't realize it. I thought, well, perhaps I've got some sins like that which are perfectly obvious to everybody else and God, but not obvious to me. So I've been asking God to show me some of those sins. And it's been a very interesting uh, experience that God has answered that prayer. Uh, one I'm still working on is uh, driving. I confess that I used to drive uh, selfishly, self-centeredly, and angrily, and used to think that uh, if people were considerate, they'd be out, get out of my way because I was in a hurry doing the Lord's business. <laughs> and it suddenly struck me that actually this was a sin because I should be loving my neighbour, even people in white vans who pull out in front of me. Uh, on a perfectly clear day and so on. So uh, the first time I tried to live that, to drive that way, it lasted about two, and, well, one and a half minutes actually. <laughs> and I can now do an hour and a half on a good day as long as I pray first before I start driving. And I pray a blessing on all the other people who are in my way, uh, sorry, enjoying the road, the use of the road with me. Well, what's the barrier between us and God? It is sin. But Christ has offered a sacrifice to make us perfect and holy. And so, we can have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Two reasons to be confident, according to the writer of Hebrews. We can enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus and since we have a great priest over the house of God. It's not just that Jesus died 2,000 years ago so you could pray, but that even now we have a great priest over the house of God who is praying for us and who takes our prayers and brings us to his heavenly Father. How Jesus loves taking your weakest and simplest prayer and presenting it to his heavenly Father. How he loves doing that because God loves us and God wants us to love God. That is, relate to him, to speak to him. When I was a teenager, I used to have six-month sulks. Those of you who are teenagers will identify with this, uh, where I'd, I would grunt being a male teenager. I, and my mother would say, are you all right? <clears throat> are you worried about something? <clears throat> are you not feeling well? <clears throat> and so forth. Charming company now I realize. Uh, very difficult. Not the best way to relate to your parents and if you're married not the best way to relate to your spouse I might say. The other thing we elderly people do is pretend to be we didn't hear it. That's the other way of, <laughs> of being going into a kind of sulk when you're old. Oh, I didn't hear it dear. Yes. Did you say that? Oh I didn't hear that. Yeah, that's right. If I'm quoting you, repent very quickly. <laughs> No, no, but uh, communication, speaking and hearing, is one of the great gifts that God has given us. Uh, and we know God values speaking and hearing because he calls his son the word. And God loves to hear and to answer our prayers.
So how should the cross shape our prayers? Well, our prayer should be responsive to the cross, that is, to the death of Jesus, enabling our prayers. And I want to encourage you, when you pray, not to start with your shopping list immediately, though I know you have a busy day and lots of things to pray for. But I want you to cross-responsive prayers. You begin with prayers of praise and trust and thanksgiving and wonder and amazement. Time spent praising God, time spent thanking God, time spent wondering at God's amazing love in the Lord Jesus Christ is not wasted time. Somebody wrote a book about worship called A Royal Waste of Time. And of course the world thinks that praising God, thanking God, adoring God is a waste of time. If there's no God, we're wasting our time praising him. But it is, of course, how we're going to spend eternity. You might as well get in practice now. So cross-responsive prayers are always prayers of praise and thanksgiving and trust and thanksgiving. Amazement because of the price God paid so we could relate to God, be God's children, and so we could speak to him. And cross-shaped prayers will always begin with a confession of sin. When I was uh, converted, the man who converted me kindly mentored me every Tuesday afternoon for three years. And one thing I remember he told me was, don't go to bed without confessing your sins of the day. But I, I discover not many Christians do that nowadays. It's kind of fallen out of practice. Uh, but can I encourage you to do it? Unless, if you do live a perfect day with no sins, well, don't bother doing it. Just go to bed and say, well, thank God that's over. But if perchance you do occasionally sin during the day, it's worth spending some time before you go to bed at night asking God to forgive you your sins of that day. Just saying, sorry, I repent, please forgive me. And the answer is always yes. God loves forgiving sin. So don't feel you're putting yourself down. No, sin matters because we matter to God. And our prayers, uh, shaped by the cross, will be prayers for holiness, not for happiness. I think many Christians in the West are engaged in the wrong race. Their race is a race for happiness, not holiness. So what our big desire in the West, I think, is to be happy people with uh, carefree lives and so on, and everything going really well. But that's not the quest we have uh, in the Bible. It is a quest for holiness, not happiness. And asking God to make you holy may not necessarily make you happy, but it will fit you for the presence of God. And cross-shaped prayers, of course, will be prayers for conversions. Often I go to churches and uh, we pray for the missionaries. And it's, it's uh, interesting how often the prayers are um, prayers for the welfare of the missionary. You know, that they'll find the, their cat or something who got lost and uh, that they'll, you know, won't be kept awake by the fireworks and 
some, some friends of mine that they, they won't have uh, the stench of the local tip, the smoke coming in through their windows. And those are all good things to pray for. We're allowed to pray for those simple things. But actually the point of being missionaries is not that you don't get smoke from a tip through your window. It is that people are converted. That's the thing to pray for. So we should be praying for the conversion of men and women and children here in Australia and also around the world to the Lord Jesus Christ. But of course, we'll only pray cross-shaped prayers if we are cross-shaped people. It's only if we live by the power of the blood of Christ. If, it's only if we know that our only salvation lies in the death of Jesus, that all that we have from God comes through the gift of his Son, that God has given us his Son will with him give us all things. It's only if we are cross-shaped people that will pray cross-shaped prayers. So perhaps the question isn't, how should I pray? The real question is, how should I live? Because prayer is not a kind of magic device which you add, add on to an independent life. No, prayer is just the expression of a life shaped by God, shaped by God's grace, transformed by God's spirit, shaped by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I don't think Hebrews 10 is about prayer. I think drawing near to God, having confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, is not, is not just about how we pray, it's how we live. This is who we are meant to be as people. So let me give you these words again. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, that is, the very presence of God, by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that is, over the people of God, the household of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The challenge, dear brothers and sisters, is to live that truth and then you'll pray that truth. So where will you live this week? Well, I hope you'll join me each day in entering the holy place that is the very presence of God by the blood of Jesus. That's the place to be. That's the place to live. That's the place to pray. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, yes, Jesus himself is watching us as we come into the presence of God by his blood, by his power. We're not alone as we come to God. Jesus, our great high priest, is there. He's the forerunner who's gone there before us and he's there to welcome us into the presence of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. A couple of years ago, my stepmother 
who's uh, very elderly, was about to die, we thought, and uh, so I was praying with her, and I read from John chapter 14, uh, of course, about I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and she said the words with me, no one comes to the Father but by me. And uh, so I said, well, when the right time comes to die, the next verse says, Jesus says, I'll come and take you to myself. So I said, when the right time to die comes, Jesus will come and take you by the hand, straight into the presence of the Father. And my dear stepmother said, well, perhaps not this week, because she wanted to get home and clean the house before she went to the nursing home. So, but, uh, the point is that that simplicity is in John 14 is what uh, Hebrews 10 is about. It is entering the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Do it. Be there. Don't miss it. Don't hang around outside. Don't go somewhere else. Enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Then you can live and pray with full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us now do what we've been talking about and pray. Gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we now come again consciously into your presence, not by our own energy, not by our own goodness, not by our own discovery, but by the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross. And we come with Jesus as our great high priest over the household of his people. And we come with full assurance of faith because you've made us clean by Jesus' blood and you welcome us into your presence. Help us to live in your presence, to sleep in your presence, to lead our daily lives in your presence and to die in your presence. Thank you that you sent your son to be a sacrifice for our sin. And thank you that your purpose in doing that was that we might be your people in your presence forever. We praise you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we are going to have a bit of a, a, a question time. So... Um, Based on what Peter's been sharing, um, this is an opportunity for you to uh, stand where you are and just raise your hand so we can bring the microphone to you, so we can record your question. Um, just engage with anything that Peter has said um, or any questions based on the sermon. So who would like to kick it off for us? No one. Well, Peter was amazing. There's no questions. Give them a moment. Give them a moment. Okay. okay. Richard? Peter, I was reading in the book of Philippians 
recently, and I came across a verse which I'd never thought about before. Um, uh, and Paul is speaking to the Philippians, obviously, and he says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And the way Paul says that makes it sound like he believes his prayers, or the prayers of the Philippians, yeah. are actually effective in and of themselves yeah. in his life. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Uh, uh, yes, I do. I'd be very unwise to disagree with the Apostle Paul, uh, <laughs> particularly publicly. Um, uh, uh, and, and the point about the verse is that the two are linked. Uh, Paul actually in that verse links the prayers and the work of the Spirit, doesn't he? So it's the Spirit working through the prayers. Yes, it's a great question, isn't it? Uh, it does God use our prayers? Um, and I think the answer is, yes, God uses our prayers as God uses our actions. Does God need our actions or our prayers? Could he do the whole thing without us? The answer is certainly yes. Uh, but he delights, uh, he delights to use our good works for his glory and delights to use our prayers as well. So Paul is very certain that one, one reason why he's got these opportunities is because they have been praying for it. Uh, but the right thing to do is to thank them, but to praise God, of course. Yeah. And my, my own experience, I mean, I know that often we pray prayers and feel that nothing happens, but uh, my experience is that uh, it's often long-term prayers that God answers. I think, you know, I encourage people not to pray something once, but to pray it every day if they need to. Uh, and indeed to pray it every day for a lot of years, and then actually God will do something. Do you know the story of the conversion of Stephen Lungu? He was um, a, a boy in Harare, uh, abandoned by his parents when he was three, so he became a street kid and began a street, a, a, a boy's gang, and they used to th throw petrol bombs in people's houses and uh, so on. And they decided to bomb a Christian meeting of a mission in a tent. Well, I think if you're going to throw a bomb, petrol bomb, a tent is a great place to throw it because it's going to burn very quickly. And it was his job to go inside the tent and to give the signal for the petrol bomb to be thrown. And, um, and he got converted by mistake. Uh, and the Christian missionaries took him into their home because he'd never used a toilet before or seen a plate before, so it was a big exercise. And he became a Christian leader. He actually replaced Michael Cassidy as the leader of... What did Michael Cassidy lead? No, Michael Cassidy, Christian... Uh, I can't think. Anyway, he was speaking about his conversion one night and two ladies up the back got very excited. Uh, and they came down the front and they said, uh, we've got a record in our Bible of the prayer we prayed the night you were converted in Durban and we pray that God would convert a young man from the street and make him a Christian leader. The point of the story is not that God answered the prayers of two elderly ladies in Durban once. The point of the, of the story is that God actually uses all our prayers, and I think no prayer is wasted in God's economy. God runs a very tight ship, 
and no prayer is wasted. It may not be answered in the way we want or expect, but it will be answered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I found that very encouraging. And sometimes after sermons and church, it is very easier to pray um, because you've been so encouraged and together and singing and everything. Um, However, then other times you feel, well, I feel sometimes it feels like it's not real. And I was wondering how can I talk to myself or how how can I change my thoughts so that I can get out of the rut of it feels fake yeah, <laughs> or it feels like I'm talking to myself. Yes, yeah, that's right. Does that's that a great sense? question. Yeah. It's a common experience. Lots of people feel that way. Uh, my advice is to find a really good psalm that you enjoy, a good long one, a good one full of praise, and say it out loud in a loud voice. So stand up in a room, hold the Bible, read it out in a loud voice. Say it to God. And, th- and then I think your prayer will just flow on naturally from that. Uh, that's why I keep on, uh, I said uh, earlier on, you know, the cross-shaped prayer starts with praise and thanksgiving and trust. Uh, because that then gets us in the right frame of mind to know who God is and so on. And I think it's okay to, okay to say to God, look, I'm, my prayers are feeling pretty flabby today. Um, I'm, I haven't got energy. Uh, I feel you're a long way away, but I'm going to pray anyway. That's what, that's what living by faith is. You don't have to pretend what isn't there. You could be perfectly honest with God. But that's why the Psalms are so wonderful, because, you know, the Psalmist often says, you're such a long way away, you know. But at least saying to God, you're a long way away, you're speaking to him. Yeah, that's right. And I'll probably be um, uh, deprived my post-service coffee for this, but um, it's okay to pray a prayer that's written down. It's so much easier. Yeah. No, no, but you just think the songs we sang tonight are written down, aren't they? It's written down and we, we use somebody else's words. We're so happy to sing that way. Perhaps we're allowed to pray that way as well. Yes, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, <laughs> we can have some prayer together later on. Um, We've got the prayer book in the office if you need to borrow it. That's right, that's right. Uh, especially anti-Anglican prayer. Uh, but the Lord's Prayer is a prepared prayer. And the Psalms are all prepared prayers. And I, I don't think it's bad to pray them. And I think when I... What's that? Yeah, that's exactly right, yes. If it's useful, do it, my advice, yeah. God will cope. If you want a, a question, put your hand up, otherwise... Otherwise, we're just going to hog it down here. Um, Peter, I'm a parent, and helpfully, um, we've um, been talking with our kids about... Um, Praying to God with a normal voice and using normal words. Yeah. Um, so not, not having any magical formula yeah. or, or sign-off or anything like that. Um, but in your view, what's... Um, there, it feels to me a danger in getting too casual 
um, when we're addressing God Almighty, and I don't want my children to be flippant about prayer, yet I do want them to be real about prayer. What's your view about helping to strike that balance for them? Yes, I think I'd encourage our children to be confident in coming to God. Yeah, I think I'd err on that side, if I can put it that way. But I think when we grow up, we perhaps have to realise that God is bigger than we quite thought and uh, some respect and reverence is very appropriate, if not absolutely necessary. Yeah. But I, I, I wouldn't worry about children with that particular issue. I, I think if they're praying, that's good. And I mean, I think uh, God loves children's prayers. He must love them so much, you know, when they pray for the cat and things like that. I mean... Uh, but as, as Jesus says, not a sparrow falls to the ground, but your father knows about it. So God knows why they're praying for the cat, you know, and that's a good thing to do. Yeah. God doesn't, uh, God do not, is not out to mark us down for our prayers. <laughs> We're not passing a test, not an examination. And some praying, even if it's not well expressed, is better than no praying. A couple more. Does someone put a hand up yet? No, I imagined it. No, Zach, he's the MC. You don't need. By the way, one of the one of the sites I really enjoy in uh, Carlton, where I live, is um, seeing married couples out having a coffee, both talking on their phone to somebody else. It's just a wonderful site. I think you could actually talk to each other if you wanted to. I mean, it may be that actually they are talking to each other by phone rather because they can't quite manage it face to face. But you know, communication is very important. Uh, yeah. Um, in terms of a relationship with with God, praying to God, um, has it become more and more evident hearing His voice as you've gone along? Hearing His voice, yeah. Uh, I think my answer to that is: the more I know the Scriptures, the more I know the voice of God. So I've very rarely uh, had, as it were, an impression of an answer to my prayer. Uh, it happened once. I remember I was, I was working in England. I was offered a, a job at St. Jude's, and I thought, that's a silly idea. I don't want to go there, but I ought to pray about it. And the moment I prayed, all of a sudden, I had this conviction that this was God's gift. It's only time it's ever happened. Other times I've had to kind of make a decision and pray and trust God and so on. So if God gives you that impression, that's great. But your impression may be wrong. There's, a, there's an awful story of George Whitfield, uh, the great missionary and evangelist, the 18th century. Uh, he and his wife had a child and they, they felt convinced that their child would be the great uh, evangelist of Europe. And they, so they baptized him. I'm sorry about that. They baptized him. Uh, as a baby with the name John to be John the Baptist of Europe and the poor child died uh, a few months later so um, some impressions are from God and others aren't <laughs> the thing we can trust is what God tells us clearly and publicly uh, in the scriptures yeah. one more Peter Um, I don't know how to phrase this, but uh, I think a lot of the times when we pray, we, we leave it to God. We, th we expect that it's God's job to answer the prayer. 
I'm wondering um, how you understand our response in prayer. Like, um, if I pray that uh, we should be involved with uh, refugees, for instance, yeah. um, and we see the plight of refugees and, and we say, oh, we, we need to pray for them, um, do we just leave it at that? Or should we be saying, following up our prayer and saying, well, I'm available, I want to do this and I can do this? So yeah. do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, yeah. Uh, there are two answers, uh, two responses. The first is that, yes, if you pray for something, you're, you, you're already committed to it, so you have to do something about it. Exactly right. But I think uh, um, one of the great pressures of our world is that we know too much about too many tragedies all the time. And what the news does is push more and more tragedies in our face every day. And we feel more and more powerless. Uh, and you couldn't respond to all those tragedies. Wouldn't be possible. So uh, please, uh, please don't feel guilty about everything that happens in the world that you're not solving. I mean, I went to a missionary conference uh, a few weeks ago and... Um, I loved it, I loved it, but I felt so guilty by the end because we were being encouraged to fill our home with refugees at the same time, this is by another speaker, that we would be in the Northern Territory helping indigenous people at the same time as we'd be in Syria doing something about the conflict, at the same time as we be, would be going as a missionary to Vanuatu at the same time as we were busy reviving our own church. Now, it wasn't that one person said all those things, but the message, the message in a way was, do something. Uh, and I used to get really hung up on that uh, until, until a friend of mine said, well, actually, God's already appointed his Messiah, and you're not it. <laughs> Which was very helpful. So I'm not the one person who has to solve all the problems of the world. And I say to people, look, don't try and do everything. Um, uh, my advice to people often is, well, choose one country and pray for that one country. Get informed about the nation and what the needs and so on. And pray for the, get to know about the Christians there and pray, pray for them and go there and do something useful. Um, it's important that we are doing good, but we don't have to do all the good there is. Because uh, as an individual, I can't do it, you can't do it. But of course our prayer will be that somebody else will, you know, you're praying for Bhutan, but somebody else over here is praying for uh, Kiribati or something like that. So uh, we're sharing the, the duties out. Um, the reason I'm trying to avoid you feeling guilty about everything is because that kind of guilt is so paralyzing. I think, well, I can't do everything, I'll do nothing. Yes, I certainly don't feel guilty about things. I, I just, um, I wonder therefore then how do we pray? You know, how do we pick the things that we are really concerned for yes, and, yeah. and, and, and really work at that, praying on that and, yeah. and being involved in that? Because obviously we can be overwhelmed with yeah. the sense of need in the world. Yeah. Um, and how do, and, and how does that re relate to me as, a, as an individual person and in and also as a church together, yeah. how do we respond um, in, a, in a, a particular way? Yes, well, I think you follow natural relationships and connections. So why do I pray for Indonesia? Because I've got good, good, good friends who are missionaries there. Uh, 
<laughs> so that's an obvious thing to do. Uh, and uh, I think churches have to think wisely about not taking on everything as well. Uh, but it's good to ask the church, well, uh, say, well, what are we as a church doing about refugees? Let's do something. We don't have to do everything. Let's do one thing that we can do. That's a good, that's a good conversation to have and I think releases us from feeling that we have to do everything or that we're not going to bother because it's all too much. Yeah. So wise decision-making by you, by you and by the church as a whole. Yeah. Well, Peter, before you head off, I want to pray for you. Oh, sure. Um, for those of you who don't know, Peter uh, serves full-time. He's in ministry. He's serving churches, speaking all over the place. But he's also, this is some promotion for you. Sure. And no, it's not prepared. So... What are you currently working on? Oh, a commentary on the book of Esther. So commentary on the book of Esther. So that's coming out through which series? Uh, reading the Bible Today series, so, published in Sydney. Yeah. So reading the Bible Today, published in Sydney. Uh, look out for it. Buy it and support what Peter's doing, what God's doing through Peter. Um, and check out what Peter's doing as well. Just Google Peter Adam. You'll see a bunch of things that God's been doing through him and support his ministry. I'm going to pray for Peter. Would you join with me? Father God, what a great uh, privilege it is to be reminded that we can come to you. Uh, we can come and seek your face. We can be in conversation with you. And we are well aware that it has come in great cost through your son. But also we know that in light of that, we can come and talk to you anytime, anywhere. Because you're everywhere. We thank you for your sermon, Peter. We thank you that you have empowered him, you've equipped him uh, to preach your word, to teach and encourage, to write pray in this season of life that you will continue to encourage him as he serves you. And pray as he continues to work in this commentary that you will uh, use this commentary to stir the hearts of people to know you more. Even himself as he engages with this book. Provide for him, lead him, and guide him, Lord, and continue to energize him for your work, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.